This is the Recap, a review of the day's news in the Tri-States area for Thursday, January 18th, 2024. With Tri-States Public Radio News, I'm Mike Murray. Plans are well underway to turn the Macomb Courthouse Square into the world's largest monopoly board. Tri-States Public Radio's Rich Egger reports. The square will not be altered physically. Rather, this will be a game played through an app, and you will need to be on the square to play it. That's according to Kelly Newell. She's director of partnerships for eAtlas, which creates apps for tours and scavenger hunts. She says this app will be called Macomopoly. It's going to take you around the square to different locations where you're going to learn history and trivia and have to discover different things and then do some things along the way. For example, a player might be required to find a statue and take a selfie with it. Organizers are working to get downtown businesses involved by giving out coupons or other prizes to those who succeed in completing objectives. The idea is not just to create a game, but to promote what the square offers. The projected launch date is May 9th. The community is playing up its ties to Monopoly because Lizzie McGee was born in Macomb in 1866. She's credited with creating the Landlord's Game, which later became Monopoly. Rich Egger reporting. Eleven of the 17 members of WTVP's board of directors are resigning amid mounting public anger over the station's alleged financial mismanagement. That includes board chairman Andrew Rand and vice chairman Sid Rookregal. Logistics company CEO John Wheland will become the new board chairman. Wheland praised Rand and the board's actions. The board negotiated a path forward that not only will put WTVP back on solid financial footing, but would also provide the community with a refreshed board. One of the new board members is Galesburg City Council member Heather Achera. Wheeland says unnamed donors will provide, quote, an influx of dollars over the next three years to keep the station afloat, but there are apparently strings attached in the form of unspecified benchmarks the station must meet in exchange. The court case for a former martial arts instructor facing sex charges has been continued to March. 43-year-old Bo Admire ran the former Badger combatives in Galesburg. He's charged in Warren County with two counts of sexual assault and one count of aggravated sexual assault. Judge James Standard granted a defense motion for the continuance. Previously, the case was expected to go to trial in February. Admire has been out on bond since November of 2022. The Illinois State Police is one step closer to finalizing the enforcement rules for a controversial law that bans semi-automatic firearms and high-capacity magazines. Illinois Public Radio's Mawa Iqbal reports. This comes two weeks after the deadline for people who already own these guns pre-ban to register them with the state. So far, registration numbers appear to be low. Some Republican lawmakers blame that on confusion around the rules. But State Senator Bill Cunningham says that's not a valid excuse. The law is the law, and I think people that believe in law and order should follow the law. The state police say they will keep the online registration portal open, but failure to register on time could result in a misdemeanor and a felony charge for each subsequent violation. I'm Mawa Iqbal. 
Anti-hunger advocates were at the Iowa Capitol yesterday calling on lawmakers to accept federal food assistance for low-income kids in the summer. Iowa Public Radio's Katerina Sostarek reports. The summer EBT program would provide an extra $120 of food aid over the summer for 240,000 Iowa kids who qualify for free and reduced-price school lunch. Governor Kim Reynolds announced last month that Iowa won't participate. Democrats have since introduced legislation to require the state to accept the food aid. It's mostly funded by the federal government, and the state would pay half of the administrative costs. Mandy Remington of Iowa City says she barely makes enough money to support her three kids on her own, and the pandemic version of this program helped her a lot. We find ourselves stretching food at the end of the month, and that pandemic EBT made a really big difference in that and in allowing us to continue to have fresh foods rather than just struggling with what we could throw together out of cans. The Iowa Hunger Coalition is also launching a petition to try to push Republican leaders to take action. I'm Katerina Sestarek, IPR News. Iowa Senate Minority Leader Pam Yoakum has announced she's not running for re-election this year. The Democrat from Dubuque has been in the legislature for three decades. Yoakum says she will focus on fighting for Iowans during this legislative session and on getting more Democrats elected to the Iowa Senate this year. Republicans currently hold a supermajority in the Iowa Senate. In today's feature, we have a Women's Voices commentary in which Sarah Grant tells us about ways to leave a lasting legacy in rural communities. And she tells us about a Knox County woman who did just that. Have you heard of the transfer of wealth? It's the process of assets changing hands as they go from one generation to the next. For previous generations, the transfer of wealth remained largely in the communities where the wealth originated because generations of families stayed close to home. But today, as families grow and move away, rural communities in particular are seeing generational wealth leave with them. This can have a huge impact on the economic vitality and social fabric of the region. Consider this. In the 10 years leading up to 2030, $5.4 billion in Fulton, Henderson, Hancock, Knox, McDonough, and Warren counties will pass from one generation to the next, with billions more to be handed down in the decades to follow. We all understand the drive to leave a legacy that creates opportunities for our children and grandchildren, but our communities and the causes we care about can also benefit from that same generosity. If just 5% of the 10-year transfer of wealth was invested into endowments, that would be more than $270 million invested into nonprofits throughout the region. Helping charitable individuals establish or connect with existing endowment funds is one of the key missions of community foundations, which provide a centralized way for pooling and managing philanthropic resources. Community foundations have a deep understanding of local communities and their unique challenges and can help ensure that resources are directed toward areas where they can have the greatest impact. With an endowment, the initial gift and any future contributions to the fund are invested. A percentage of the value of the endowment is distributed in the form of annual grants, while the interest earned above and beyond the amount spent is reinvested into the fund, ensuring future growth. This intentional giving can contribute to the long-term sustainability and resilience of our communities, addressing specific needs such as education, health care, arts, social services, and infrastructure. As Director of Development at Galesburg Community Foundation, I meet with individuals who want the best for our region, and I work with them, their families, and their financial advisors to help them leave a lasting legacy for the causes and places they love. 
One of these individuals who left a legacy for her community was Peg Bivens, a champion of the community of Knoxville. Peg and other members of the Knoxville community worked with Galesburg Community Foundation to establish the endowed Knoxville Community Fund in 2015. Peg not only helped establish the fund during her lifetime, she also made a planned gift to the fund, naming the Knoxville Community Fund as beneficiary of her life insurance policy. By making a planned gift, Peg gave her community a reliable resource that provides financial support for projects in her community forever. In the last year alone, the fund has awarded grants to two Knoxville food pantries to assist families facing food insecurity, provided a grant for accessible playground equipment in the local park, and funded teacher mini-grants to enhance classroom curriculum. Leaving a legacy is a powerful and enduring way for you to make a lasting impact. It's a financial commitment to an organization, whether it's to a community like Peg Bivens did for Knoxville, or to another cause you're passionate about. When you create or make a gift to an existing endowment fund, your gift transcends your lifetime, creating a ripple effect of positive change for generations to come. Philanthropy is for everyone. By starting a fund or planning an estate gift through your local community foundation, you can create a permanent resource for our region, even as it continues changing. As an example, Gillsburg Community Foundation maintains more than 200 different charitable funds. So whether you want to start your own fund or make a gift to a fund that has already been established, working with your local community foundation offers options as well as the expertise to help you give back to your community in the way that works best for you. The start of a new year provides a natural moment for introspection. It's a time to reflect on your values and goals and the kind of impact you want to have on your community. Then all it takes is beginning the conversation with your family, with your professional advisor, and with your local community foundation. If you don't know where to find your local community foundation, visit the Alliance of Illinois Community Foundation's website at allianceilcf.org. They have a map with contact information for community foundations throughout the state that can help you leave a lasting legacy that benefits the causes you care about. Sarah Grant is Director of Development at Galesburg Community Foundation. She previously spent 15 years overseeing the McDonough County Farm Bureau. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of Western Illinois University or Tri-State's Public Radio. Diverse viewpoints are welcomed and encouraged. In the weather for our listing area for today, we have a 40% chance of snow after 4 p.m., it should be mostly cloudy today with a high in the upper 20s, and northeasterly winds at 5 to 10 miles an hour could gust as high as 20 at times. For tonight, snow mainly before 1 a.m., 1 to 3 inches is possible. The low should be around 2 degrees. For TSPR News, I'm Mike Murray. Tri-State's Public Radio is part of the NPR Network.